the most significant book that has ever been written. It is certainly the one book that has most significantly shaped Scotland and the United Kingdom and uh, its colonies. Uh, those are just not my thoughts. Those are the thoughts last year of Melvin Bragg at the book uh, exhibition across the way. He had a book out on the King James Bible and speaking particularly of the King James translation. Uh, Melvin Bragg described it as the most revolutionary and the most significant book of the last 400 years. Obviously beyond merely its beauty as literature, which profoundly has shaped all significant literature since, from William Shakespeare onwards, he argued that the Bible was the, uh, the one book that, that provided the seedbed for modern democracy. Uh, it was the motivation, too, behind the abolition of the slave trade, one of the most incredible events that has ever happened in history, where very altruistically Britain gave up uh, something of a, a huge industry because they saw that it was morally wrong to keep slaves. All driven from the Bible. Uh, Bragg goes on to say that actually he would chart all the civil rights movements of the, of the United States to, to give equal rights to um, African American people uh, was also charted from the King James Bible. More than that, he would say that the spark for the modern day scientific enterprise owes its uh, trajectory all the way back from the Bible. And yet, uh, he, 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 he said that uh, it was tragic that the significance of the Bible has slowly been uh, either forgotten or just written out of the history books. And it is extraordinary that we have this one book that has so profoundly shaped Scotland, Britain, Western democracy. And yet today it is, well, it is, it is mocked by the cultural elites. It is um, despised by uh, the so-called new atheists. And by and large, it is ignored uh, by people, certainly in Scotland. Very interesting, as we uh, invited folk this last week along Rose Street to come to the Bible exhibition, they hear the word Bible, and they would speed up and keep walking on. And yet, actually, when we had the event uh, with uh, David Robertson, who came down to talk about his book, The Dawkins Letters, uh, when we were inviting people, we said, would you like to come to a talk on the Dawkins Letters? No, sooner they heard the word Dawkins, they, they stopped walking past, turned around and said, oh, that would be interesting. If you go to the book festival across the street, uh, it's, it's fantastic. Look around the bookshop. There, there are some uh, big shelves on religion and spirituality. I think with the exception of one book, every book uh, on religion there is, is, is full of doubt about the Christian faith. That's what sells today. Doubt. There's only one book that's mildly positive. I think that's an extraordinary Situation And really, at Charlotte Chapel, in a sense, the reason that we've put on the Word Live exhibition is that we want to sort of turn the tide on this and remind Edinburgh, remind Scotland of its huge heritage in the Bible. And to ask people, have another look. Come and consider the Bible afresh. I remember uh, feeling the, the scorn of uh, people's attitudes to the Bible about 25 years ago when I was a, a dental student in London. And I just won't forget this moment 
when one of my best mates turned around to, and said to me in an exasperated way, he said, how can you believe uh, that in a God who gives you a, bu- a book to get to know him? How can you believe in a God like that? And I, and I remember just sort of just feeling very small and sort of shrinking under his scorn and thinking, oh yeah, hmm. But you know what? I've had 25 years to think about it. And I want to, you may never listen to this, but my answer back to him now, 25 years on, is I think it is absolutely brilliant that God has given us a book that we might get to know him personally. Why don't you turn with me to one verse in the New Testament. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, you'll find this. I should put on that. There it is, page 1197. It's on the screen, but you can look it up in the Bibles, page 1197, one of the Red Pew Bibles in front of you. This is a great text that really, in a sense, is, is the main point I want to hit on today. And of course, it's a great text for the, for, for the first Sunday back to Sunday school, isn't it? Paul, the first century uh, great missionary and uh, church planter and apostle, a man who formerly persecuted Christians and then got his life turned around by the risen Jesus and, and became this missionary and this apostle. He's writing to his young protege, Timothy, and this is what he says to him. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, In Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What is this Bible for? This Bible is to make you wise, is able to make you wise today for salvation through faith. In Christ Jesus. That's what this book is about. You're thinking, well, what is the Bible about? Did you hear what I said it was about? It's able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what this book says. And it is a wonderful thing, a brilliant thing, that God has given it to us. And I, and I want to, in a sense, that's my main point, but I want to build my case with you this morning. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it's worth knowing Uh, that essentially the Bible is a record of historical events. This is its claim, that it is telling us uh, about real history, things that actually happened. And so, for example, when it speaks about uh, the army of the Assyrian Empire uh, sweeping down in the 8th century before Jesus came and demolishing the northern kingdom of Israel, when it speaks of that in the Bible, in books like Isaiah and other places, if you go to uh, the Middle East and uh, you go to these archaeological digs, you will in fact find that there was such a thing as an Assyrian empire. In fact, you don't have to go there. You could go to the British Museum. We've dug up lots of bits. We've kept them safely there. And you can see lots of evidence that there really was the Assyrian empire. More than that, you could actually go to Israel itself and go to these archaeological digs, get down to the level that's about the 8th century BC, and you'll find lots of evidence of cities getting destroyed at that time. In fact, you'll find uh, roofs that have collapsed down, and above those roofs are Assyrian arrowheads. 
So this is the claim of the Bible. It's dealing with history that really happened. It is telling us about historical events. Now the very nature of events is that they are unrepeatable. They only happen once. So how do we know about them? Well, the truth is that most of the time we rely on first-hand written records of those events. I mean, just think about how many momentous events have you personally witnessed? How many momentous events have you personally witnessed? Probably hardly any, directly. I mean, uh, if you've got a TV set, then you might have uh, witnessed a sort of a, a sort of a the Berlin Wall coming down, uh, maybe the 9-11 events of the trade towers collapsing. But actually, that was a TV coverage. You didn't personally see those events. And what, what about events before television, before film, that was the most of history, let's be honest. How do we know that those things really happened? Well, because somebody recorded those events in first-hand way. In fact, even today, most of the things that go on, uh, we discover by written records. So, for example, Gordon Brown, uh, apparently, was uh, across at the Edinburgh Book Festival last Monday, the former Prime Minister, and he uh, gave an argument for why he thinks the union should stay together. Now, I didn't see him do that. Uh, I wasn't there. I didn't even see him walk around the streets here. But I believe it really happened because somebody wrote down the account of what took place and the details of it. And uh, they put it up on the website. And I have no reason to doubt those nice people at the Edinburgh Book Festival. I, I really think it actually happened, don't you? And actually, I learned a bit more about Gordon Brown's politics and what he thinks about the union. That's the way it works, isn't it? So the Bible claims that it is writing down actual historical events. Now the problem with events is that they can be somewhat ambiguous uh, to us. So also this week, with my own eyes, I saw the Archbishop of Canterbury walking down Rose Street. I was so stunned I said nothing. He looked like an old tramp. No, he didn't know. He, he, he wasn't wearing his outfit. He's a lovely Welsh druid and the Archbishop of Canterbury. And I saw him walking along. Now, what am I to interpret of him hurrying by? I don't know because he didn't reveal himself to me. He didn't come over and say, hello, I'm the Archbishop. How are you? Oh, a Bible exhibition. This looks interesting. He didn't do any of that. He just rushed by. Now, what did that mean? Did that mean he didn't like Baptists? Did it mean he was... Hungry and he wanted to get to a meal. I really don't know. That event was ambiguous to me. Now you see the Bible is saying not only is it recording historical events. But it also claims that it is giving us God's explanation of those events. Uh, that God not only did these things. You know, it's not, the Bible is not just a record of how people saw some amazing things happen and then they thought some really deep thoughts. And, and they sort of said, well, I think this means this about God and, and they made up stuff about God. Now, the Bible's claim is, is something much more dramatic than that. That God has not only revealed uh, the events where he has specifically acted in history, but he's also uh, spoken and explain the significance of those events so that we could have a real knowledge of God. God didn't just rush past Rose Street. He revealed himself to us. 
We can know things about God, true things about God, because God acted in history and he explains the significance of them and that's what revelation means. That's how we can know the truth about God. Now last week we, um, we saw that uh, God is a speaking God. God has spoken was the title of last week's talk. But what we also need to see this week is that God is a writing God. It is written. Not only is he a speaking God, but he is a writing God. And so uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Let me show this to you in the most remarkable instance of it. Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel, Exodus 32. And you'll find this on page 92 in the church Bibles. No, that's not true. Page 91. Page 91. And... um, Verse 15, let's start there. Um, Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testament in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Do you see that incredible claim? Uh, it's worth saying, at a time where the Edinburgh Book Festival is on and the Word Live Bible Exhibition is on, um, that the fact that we write is another decisive way that we are different to the rest of the animal kingdom. You will search this world in vain for the chimpanzees to put on a book festival. Uh, You will search in vain to find dogs writing letters and books to be recorded onto other people. They leave other things behind, but not books. Now, it is, uh, according to the Bible, another mark in which we as human beings are shown to be in the image of God. Uh, I think the Bible gives great dignity to writers. The reason that we as human beings write is because we are made in the image of, of God, who is a God who writes. And think about it. He wrote in stone. Can you think of any more definite commitment that things should be recorded for posterity. That things should be recorded not just for the generation who witnessed the events of the Exodus, but God was so committed that the the, the revelation of himself, the knowledge of him, uh, of what took place in those Exodus events would be written in stone so that hundreds of generations that would follow could come to know him. What a loving God that he wants us to really know who he is as he's revealed in the events of history and explains their significance. I mean, what is the, what's the best way to store information today? I mean, you might think, well, if you've got lots of information, it's got to be the hard drive, isn't it? The hard drive. It's amazing how much information you can store on a hard drive. It's ridiculous how many hundreds of gigabytes you can buy now in computers. How long? Does information on a hard drive last? On average, five to ten years. Five to ten years. That's why they'll all tell you, you don't need just to buy your computer, you need to buy a backup hard drive and keep backing up because it's definite that there's a point in time where one of those things is going to break down. How useless. You can store all that information for about five to ten years and most of us don't back up enough. And so when it goes crook, we all go, no, no. 
lost everything. Five to ten years, that's hopeless. Now, how does that compare with books? Well, here's a book, for instance, the St. Cuthbert Gospel. It was produced in the 7th century AD. It is a Latin version of the Gospel of John. It was found in St. Cuthbert's um, uh, box. What do they call that when you're dead? Coffin, that's right. It, it was found in his coffin. So up to this point, that book has lasted 1,325 years. Hard drive, 10 years? Bah! This book. And guess what? It doesn't need batteries. All you need is a bit of light. And it oh, still works. You can still read what's in it. Books, how amazing. They can really store information. But you know what? Better than that. Better than that. Uh, we have got lots of ancient documents that are made out of parchment. Uh, parchment which is made of, out of animal skins. And so, for example, you've got the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, written uh, around uh, 50 BC. And so here's actually a bit of Exodus chapter 20. If you've got good eyes, you can read that. Um, so up to this point, this parchment has lasted 2,062 years. That's not bad, is it, for holding on to information? But you know what? There's more. Uh, extraordinarily, we have hundreds of papyri made from a plant. And we have papyri that uh, basically is now over 4,000 years old, containing information that we can still read. 4,000 years. What an extraordinary way that we can keep data. But you know what? Better than that, it's ironic. Downstairs, we've got this display from clay to Kindle. It's very, very cool. And I love my Kindle. It is my Kindle uh, that's down there. Looking forward to getting it back. And I love my Kindle. Got about 20 books. Went on holiday, went with it. It broke. Couldn't read it. The nice people at Kindle have given me a new one. So I must say that. Really thankful to the Mr. and Mrs. Kindle who gave me that. But you know what? The, the oldest thing that we've got there is this clay. Now, do you know, we have bits of clay that are 5,000 years old. You go to the British Museum, you can find this clay tablet that comes from, well, the modern-day Iraq area, from the area of Mesopotamia, from the city of Ur, where uh, old Abraham came from, and, and, and it contains information. We have it that's 5,000 years old. Do you know what it's about? It's, it's, it's prescribing beer rations for workers. They're all about things that really were important in those days. Some things don't change, do they? Beer rations. 5,000 years old. We've still got it. But think about this. God was so committed to communicating the reality of who he is, he inscribed it in stone. More than that, he, um, he insisted to uh, Moses that he should write down everything that God said to him. So turn over to uh, chapter 34, page 94 in the church Bibles, uh, page, uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse 27. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you, and with Israel. Write down these words. God did not just want to communicate to the generation that saw the events that he caused. He wants to speak to you today. And he's done that by ensuring that it's been written down 
and preserved and it can be in your hands so that you could come to know the true and living God. It is brilliant that God has given us a book so that we can get to know him. Do you know what? The St. Cuthbert Gospel, uh, the British Library paid nine million pounds for it uh, in April. And do you know what? You could buy one of these for five to ten pounds. And if you're hard up, we'll give you a free one today. Just ask. We'll give you, we'll give you a free one. You don't have to pay nine million. It'd be worth nine million to get to know God, wouldn't it? We'll give you one for free. So you can get to know the living God. It's awesome. Now, I want to give you a very specific illustration of this. So I've given you the broad outline. Event, explanation, equals revelation of God. I want to give you a very specific illustration of this. And then we're going to get back to our mate, Timothy, in the first century. That's the plan, okay? So come with me to the uh, Exodus chapter 12, which was read to us earlier uh, by John Penman. Exodus chapter 12. And you'll find this on page uh, 69. And the actual event, the key event of the Exodus, uh, the key event of Passover night is recorded in a few verses in verse uh, 29. Page 69, verse 29, right-hand column near the bottom. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, you've said, go, and bless me. So that, in a sense, there's the event recorded. But do you see that this is a much bigger book? The book of Exodus alone. 66 books, one story, that's, that's, that's the book of the Bible. This one book has got a lot more verses in it. Because around this specific event, God, actually before he even does the event, he explains what he's going to do. And he explains why he's going to do it. So uh, come back to... Um, Exodus chapter 6. Turn back to Exodus chapter 6. It's on page 62. And look at verse 2. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant, my promise. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians." I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I'll bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord's. 
God is doing these events in history so that people could come to truly know about God. The events were the death of the firstborn uh, in Egypt and the exodus that took place from that. The explanation of God is that actually he is revealing that he is a God of compassion. He's heard their cries of suffering as slaves uh, in Egypt, the, the cruel way that Pharaoh treated them as they, as they performed slave labor tasks, building cities for Pharaoh. God is a compassionate God. And God is revealing himself as a faithful God. He'd made promises to their forefathers, Abraham. He was going to give them the land, and God was keeping those promises in these events. It tells us about God as the great redeeming God. That God was going to liberate them out of slavery and bring them into freedom of service of God and bring them into a relationship with him where he would be their God and they would be a, a people in relationship with the God who made them. God's explaining all the significance of these events. So turn back to chapter 12. Because as God brings judgment, he's going to judge all uh, sin, all wickedness. And it turns out that the Israelites, God's people, are just as in much danger as the Egyptians. And so God tells them a way that they can be saved from this act of judgment that's going to happen. And we read it earlier today. It involved this strange business of taking a lamb. A lamb for a household. It had to be a perfect lamb. A lamb uh, with all, you know, four legs and, you know, a, 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 a proper lamb. And this lamb, uh, after being cared for, uh, they had to kill the lamb. And the blood of this lamb had to be applied to the outside door frame. And then they were to eat this lamb because it was going to give them food for the great journey that was going to happen as he was going to free them from Egypt and take them to the promised land. And God says, not only this is what I'm going to do and this is why I'm going to do it, but he wants to ensure that future generations will hear of this event. Did you see that? Look at um, verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, as a lasting ordinance. Moses, write all these things down. It's got to be communicated to the next generations. It's got to be kept this Passover. I want you to repeat this meal every year. Look at verse 24. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, Why does this ceremony mean, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the house of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. Year on year, they are to remember this event because it is telling them something so significant about the God who made them. It is telling something very important about how they were liberated uh, from being slaves to being a free people. It was telling them about, reminding them about how they were uh, saved. And it was through the blood of this lamb. The lamb was like a substitute for the firstborn son. On that night, if there wasn't blood on the door, the firstborn son, whether it was the pharaoh or the guy in the dungeons, the firstborn son died. Where the blood was, they were saved. And God wants this written down. 
He wants this remembered for generations because it is all pointing forward to something far bigger, far greater. So, so let's come back to Timothy. In the first century, remember what Paul said to Timothy? How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. As far as we know, Timothy never personally met Jesus. He hadn't witnessed the amazing miracles of Jesus. He hadn't uh, sat, uh, stood in the crowds uh, who were hungrily eating up everything that Jesus was teaching. He would not witnessed the trial and the torture of Jesus. He hadn't seen Jesus being executed upon a cross. He hadn't seen Jesus being buried. He hadn't, with his own eyes, witnessed Jesus raised from the dead. And yet, he had become a Christian. He'd become totally convinced that Jesus was the one who fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament. Why? Why did he become convinced? Well, firstly, from infancy, his Jewish grandmother and mother taught him the first 39 books of our Bible, the Jewish scriptures. They faithfully taught him the Bible. We heard from Adam today the significance it is for parents to teach their children. And, and that's exactly right. And uh, Timothy's grandmother and mother had been faithful in this. He'd, he'd learned about God from the Old Testament scriptures. He'd heard about the Passover night. He'd heard about all God's promises where God was promising that actually a greater act of redemption would come. There would be the need for being liberated from slavery to sin. And that God was going to send a king in the line of David who would bring it about. He'd heard all of that from infancy. And then this man, Paul, came to his city and started telling them how Jesus of Nazareth had come and perfectly fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament Scriptures. Just as the Scriptures had said, he was born in Bethlehem. Uh, just as the Scriptures said, he grew up in the north and did great signs and wonders. Just as said in the Scriptures, he would lead uh, God's people by teaching them his word. Just as the Scriptures said, he would suffer even though he was innocent. He would be a substitute for sinners. And Timothy having heard the Old Testament and then heard the truth and the reality, the eyewitness evidence of the life of Jesus, became a Christian. Became convinced that Jesus really had risen from the dead as his Lord and Savior. And he too had become a pastor, a church planter, somebody convinced about Jesus. In a sense, that's what the New Testament is about. If the Old Testament is 39 books pointing forward to Jesus then the event of the life of Jesus is recorded in the 27 books of the New Testament. And it tells us all about the eyewitness testimony of his life and all the significance of his life. That's what the Bible is. Let me just illustrate that by going to Matthew's Gospel. And uh, Matthew chapter 26. When Matthew records... 
what happens in a very significant meal. And it was the night before his crucifixion. It was Passover night. Matthew chapter uh, 26, verse 26. And they're celebrating the Passover meal just as the Bible had prescribed it, as the scriptures had prescribed it. And yet Jesus does something utterly remarkable. Verse 26, page 996. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus takes hold of this Passover event and says, All those Passover lambs are pointing to me. It is my body that will be broken. It is my blood that's going to be poured out. And if you come under the safety of my blood, my sacrifice... God's wrath will not come on you for your sin. God's wrath will pass over you. And you can know forgiveness of your sin and true relationship with God. So Timothy, from his infancy, had been taught the scriptures which are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this Bible is about. That's what this Bible is for. It truly reveals God to us and reveals the way that we can be saved from God's wrath through faith in Jesus Christ. What a blessing, what a wonderful thing that God should give us this book so that we can truly come to know God. And trust Jesus Christ and be saved. What will you do with this book? It's wonderful that God has spoken. It is wonderful that it is written. Are you going to take up this book and read it? Study it? You know, sometimes it, it, it is hard to understand in places, and that's why we love getting together and... Uh, we come and study it together. We get to grips with it. You come to understand what it has to say. Take up this book. Do you know what? Uh, it is the 60th uh, 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 year of the Queen's coronation, isn't it? It's the Diamond Jubilee this year. And uh, a great thing happened at the Queen's coronation. She is handed so much bling. It is extraordinary. What she gets handed. Um, she, gets in, she gets handed the imperial state crown. It's set over with, with it has more than 3,000 precious stones in, in it, including one stone, one diamond, which is 317 carats, which apparently is a lot. She's given the sovereign's orb, you can see it in her hand. And it, is, it, is, it weighs 1.32 kilograms. It is made of, of pure gold and it is encrusted with 600 precious stones. 
she is given the sovereign scepter, which you see in her hand, which symbolizes all her temporal power. And it has lots of precious stones studded into it, including the Cullen uh, One Diamond, which is 530 carats. It is the, it is the most precious, top-quality cut diamond in the world. And she's got it on a stick. She's handed all this bling, all this valuable stuff, and then it reaches, reaches a crescendo. And then the Archbishop of Canterbury at that time says, and now we're going to hand you the most precious thing that this, wor- this world affords, the most precious thing. And they bring to her the Bible. They bring to her the Bible. And this is what the Archbishop says, our great, uh, said, Our gracious Queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God, the good news of God, as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. And then the moderator of Scotland continued, Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. It is written to be able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. But you don't get saved just by knowing about the book. You don't get saved by having the book in your hands. You need to take it up and read it. Find out the truth about Jesus Christ whom the whole of the scriptures point to. And when you find that, my friends, you will come to see that this is the most valuable thing that this world affords. Let's pray.